Hi there. Welcome back to the Brave New Workforce. My name is Trip O'Dell, and I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Larry Cornett and Anna Kadina. How are you guys today? We're good. How are you, most importantly, Trip? I've been in back-to-back meetings, so I am definitely in the mood for <laughs> one more Zoom call. Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. <laughs> Gotta well, love the Zoom. We have a special uh, special guest today. Trip, you want to lead him in? I'm actually really excited today. Uh, we're talking to Ben Carvalho, who is one of our diamonds in the coal mine. Uh, I met Ben a number of years ago when I was working. You guys remember that episode, the the episode about hiring and and sort of overlooking the the I people do. that were right in front mm-hmm. of you, uh, in instead of looking at resumes and and that sort of thing. Ben and I met years ago uh, as fellow Amazonians, uh, and he was interested in coming into the discipline that Larry and I worked in, user experience and product design. Uh, And he was an internal uh, candidate. He was working uh, in uh, fulfillment center operations in the field. Uh, But Ben has his undergraduate background was in um, cognitive science, very, very relevant degree to what we do. Very smart, very clearly uh, well qualified for the role. And I wasn't able to make the, and I fought hard, right? And so we're going to talk about what happened after that. And so Ben, welcome and tell us about five years later, what's, what's been going on? How you been? (laughs) Well, thank you so much for uh, having me on the podcast. It's, it's a real privilege and honor. Um, So currently I am, uh, I did end up leaving Amazon and uh, pursued going to medical school. So I'm currently um, a medical student at USC Keck School of Medicine in LA. University of Southern California? Yes, yes, University of Southern California. And I successfully made that shift. Um, I kind of took a risk on myself leaving Amazon uh, and you know, changed focus from uh, pursuing UX at that time to you know, pursuing becoming a doctor. This, so let's back it up. Let's talk a little bit about like where, where you come from, like what what led you like what what happened prior to even amazon like tell us your story where you where you grew up so i'm from tracy california which is um about an hour hour and a half um east of the bay area and i attended uc berkeley i studied cognitive science and for listeners who might be unfamiliar with that field um it's an interdisciplinary uh, field of uh, neurobiology, neuropsychology, some computational modeling, linguistics. So a real um, mix of some really good qualities, I think, when it comes to problem solving and approaching um, things in in UX in particular and medicine and uh, many other fields, uh, you know, kind of in, in and around tech. Um, so when I graduated, I, um, just for personal reasons, uh, I ended up moving back home, um, and prioritized my family. And, uh, coincidentally, when I was in undergrad, Amazon was building, uh, one of their, you know, newest and biggest fulfillment centers in Tracy, uh, where I was from. So I kind of went back home and, you know, there was this big fulfillment center in, in my backyard. Um, so, so can you tell us at, yeah. a little bit about Tracy? Like, I mean, are not a lot sure. of demand for cognitive scientists in Tracy? <laughs> right. So right. that's, so that's, that's kind of the challenge was I had this, um, you know, useful education, but, um, Tracy doesn't have much opportunity for, um, you know, more educated, uh, young adults. 
Um, it's really agricultural, rural. Um, there's really it's it's more of a commuter town for those who, you know, sit in a lot of traffic and and go to uh, work in the Sil- Silicon Valley, the Bay Area. And for those that don't want to commit to that, you know, five hour a day commute, um, there's really little to um, to do. Um, you know, especially if you're out of college. So, so there's not a lot of jobs besides maybe a big distribution center like Amazon and that sort of thing. Not a, like for people that Starbucks wanna... is always hiring, dude. So, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. There, there is a lot of um, warehousing, especially in the past decade. There's just been a huge amount of warehouses popping up, um, including Amazon and. Um, FedEx and UPS and just these logistic companies, mainly because of the relative close proximity to the Bay Area. And this area is really cheap to make some warehouses and, um, you know, have people work there. Um, and again, there are all, there are also some, uh, a lot of farms in, in and around the city and the Central Valley and San Joaquin Valley. So. So how did you get started with Amazon? So you, you, you're fresh out of very, very prestigious school, University of California, Berkeley, the, the main campus you know, legendary programs in computer science and everything else. Um, and then you go back to Tracy and you've got to be there for family. It's good reasons to do that. So what, how did you get started with Amazon? So, um, like as soon as I graduated, I, I started looking for, you know, job opportunities and I had a, I had a couple friends from high school who had, um, started working at Amazon as um, fulfillment associates, like warehouse associates. And I didn't have anything else really going on at the time. And I I really wanted to evaluate my next steps as far as like pursuing graduate school. That was definitely on my mind. Um, So I actually just applied to be a a warehouse associate. And um, I ended up working um, on night shift, uh, 10 to 12 hours uh, a shift, really just stocking these robotic shelves that you've probably seen on, you know, Amazon commercials and stuff. And, uh, it was surprisingly a satisfying job. It was pretty straightforward. And, um, did, did you get cookie time, breaks? Is that cause Amazon fulfillment jobs are well known for being, you know, easy. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. We like during some breaks we had, um, they would, they would have, you know, ice cream or yeah cookies and stuff like that for us as kind of just a little, appreciation for our work. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I knew I, that I knew that I had these, you know, this qualification having just graduated and, um, the kind of rule at the time was that you had to work in your role for three months before you could, um, apply to something else in the company. So I, you know, patiently waited those three months and found that there were some internal postings for, um, like area managers, um, and who basically lead these these relatively large teams of associates. And I ended up applying, interviewed. Um, you know, I went through like six 45-minute interviews for this role. And um, I was selected for, for it. And then that was about October. So I spent the summer as an associate. And then in October, I um, became a, an area manager. So, so how, how large was your team as an area manager? So when I started out, it was relatively small with about 30 associates and then towards the end as I kind of grew into the role um, by the time I left it was close to 200 I was responsible for about 200 associates so you had 200 direct reports correct and you're (laughs) you're out of college Um, yeah I was about 23 at the time 
Okay. And uh, you'd gone through a six hour, like multiple full day. This is the full Amazon, you know, gauntlet of intense loop of six hour interviews. Um, I mean, right. Larry and I are very familiar with those from the tech world, right? But this is for an area manager role, high responsibility, 200 direct reports. Okay. And then, and then what happened? I, I really enjoyed the role and I, I developed a lot of leadership skills and it was, it was kind of trial by fire in a way, um, just leading such a large team with, you know, not a whole lot of experience. Um, but I think that I grew fairly quickly and, um, I really enjoyed the people I worked with, but I didn't necessarily go to school to to be a manager in a warehouse. Um, so being that Amazon is such a huge company with so many different um, departments and in so many spaces, I started um, exploring the idea of uh, transitioning into like more of a user experience role. Um, so I, lo- I just looked, uh, so that was probably May, May April, May, um, after the big peak, um, which is like the holiday season in December and, you know, after Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. And just, just when we're talking about user experience, uh, you know, I know what that is. Larry knows what that is. You know what that is. Leander knows what that is, but not everybody knows what that is. Larry, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about what a user experience designer does at a, at a tech company? I mean, it varies um, from company to company and how specialized you get. But basically, if someone's working in user experience, they're looking at all of the customer touch points with their products and services. Um, usually in tech, it's software. So it's going to be you know desktop software, more commonly now web-based software. So you are researching customer needs. You're doing the design work. You're trying to figure out how things flow all the way down to the visual design of the products and then, you know, doing testing and evaluation. But it is the end-to-end, it's supposed to be, the end-to-end customer experience with your products and services at a company. And not all of us go to graduate or go to go to art school for that sort of thing. A lot of people, like Larry, you have a degree. No, in, I didn't. Yeah, your, your degree yeah. is in psychology. psychology. Yeah. Mine, mine is more sort of in media theory and cognition. But so, I mean, it's not above the, beyond the pale that somebody with a cognitive science background would be interested in no, user experience. We hired a ton of people out of programs like that from Carnegie Mellon when I was at eBay. I mean, like we didn't hire, it wasn't always a designer designer, somebody that came from an art school or had more of the visual design background. We hired a lot of people that had more of cognitive science background, psychology backgrounds. It was quite common. Just want to kind of give that context. So you, you became interested in looking at the user experience teams at Amazon. And when I was there, there was probably uh, probably more than 2,000 UX people at that point between research and design and all the other stuff. And you know, I was a manager and I was part of a group that just in logistics, we had 120 uh, people in, in user experience. These are highly compensated, very competitive roles to get to. And the challenge was always finding people, A, that were good enough to, to do the job and, and had the right sort of skill sets and background, and B, could make it at Amazon because uh, that's tough. That culture fit was always the hardest thing to, to find somebody that, that had that sort of resilience. Um, so that, that's the, that's what I, what, what from our side, that's what we were looking for. So Ben, talk, talk to me about like how you got connected with my team. So um, yeah, I just utilized the internal job system that Amazon had and 
Um, I actually just saw a, you know, I saw multiple positions, but I, I, as I browsed through them, I noticed that one of the hiring managers um, went to Berkeley as well and was, you know, obviously working at Amazon at the time. So I figured that we had a couple similarities and I emailed him and kind of told him that I was interested in making that, that transition into UX. And he was really receptive. I think I uh, called him um, on the phone um, and just kind of just talked about how that might happen. And he suggested, um, you know, going to Seattle and meeting the team and kind of shadowing and um, for a couple of days. And I thought that that was such a cool opportunity and I definitely took it up. And, so, and um, your, your managers yeah. were supportive of this? Okay. So I, I definitely looped in my managers at the time because they knew, obviously they knew my background wasn't really congruent with, you know, climbing the ladder in, in logistics, even though I think I had the aptitude and I think it's an interesting area. Um, I just thought that UX would have been a better fit for me. They were, they were supportive of me doing that, but they, uh, when it came to funding, um, a trip like that, they didn't really want to, uh, you know, cover any of that. They, they said, you know, go ahead and, and visit, but we want you to do that like kind of on your own time and your own dime. So I, I paid out of pocket for my flight to Seattle and a couple nights uh, in a hotel there. Um, and I did it on my days off too. So I uh, just like ended my work week, get on, I, got on I a plane. I think I did buy you lunch. That was... Yes, yes, you did. So thank you very much, much for that again. Um, <laughs> nice. So <laughs> they were supportive of it, but then when it, you know, when, when the, you know, their money their money wasn't where their mouth was necessarily at a, at a really, you know, big company with a lot of resources, which was a little, which was really disappointing. I find that funny because we used to interview candidates from different parts of the country and sometimes different parts of the world and college students. And we paid for their flights out and paid for their hotel. And you would think they would be even more likely to do that for an internal candidate that wants to transfer. And they're like, eh, no, you're on your own. <laughs> I guess it is Amazon. Amazon's different. Yeah. Well, I'm going to quote from the little orange book of Jeff, uh, frugality, uh, is that we don't, we don't spend money on things that, uh, don't matter, but there's also sort of the, the, the dark side of that. And we had an internal wiki that would talk about the, the dark side of a leadership principle. And one of my favorites was fruited. Uh, it's so frugal, it's stupid. Um, and you know, yep. we, and we're just, uh, and you look at the cost of like what we would spend to like just in time and effort to loop people uh, that looked right on paper and say, no, you know, I mean, for, I think for every hundred people that applied, maybe one or two got interviews, right? When you have an internal candidate and you have an employee who already understands the corporate culture and the principles and what it means to work at that company has been very successful like you were, it's, uh, it's kind of outrageously silly to not look at trying to help that candidate succeed and, and have some mobility within the company. I mean, that's, I'm really surprised to hear that. It's disappointing. Yeah. And I mean, and going off their leadership principles, uh, another one of theirs is hire and develop the best. So it's like, if you have a you know qualified candidate who is so motivated that they're willing to take this opportunity on their own, um, it, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of um, ironic. 
Yeah. It, it reminded me as you guys were talking, I was like, I remember a story about this that just, I love the story. So I don't know if you guys remember hearing about how flaming hot Cheetos were invented, but it was, it was a janitor that worked at Frito-Lay. So it's in California, this janitor invented flaming hot Cheetos because they had a mistake at the plant and they gave everybody the undusted product. They're like, oh, something went wrong. Take them home, have fun with them. And he's like, I got to find some way to season these. And so he was playing around with flavors and he created it. And I can't remember if somebody told him to do this or he thought about it. I think there was some internal innovation channel. He's like, I'm going to present this to the executives so that they can say, this would be a great new flavor for us. And he went to the library and researched how to do a business proposal and a marketing proposal. And he put it all together and he pitched it. And of course the product came to life. This guy was a janitor at the company. And now he's an executive vice president at PepsiCo. (laughs) It's like, yeah. so I mean, I'm looking at this and thinking that's exactly how you should be with your employees is investing in them. uh, Spoke at one of Adobe's uh, diversity uh, conferences. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's how I found out about that story. But basically, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, And the CEO was so open to receiving his idea that they brought it to life. And now I think uh, his idea was worth like a billion dollars. I don't know what his net worth is individually, but yes. Right, um, right. And just from believing so yeah, in your people, amazing. you can really like get the best out of them, you know? Yeah, I just, yeah. I just, for, for, every, uh, for every manager and leader listening to this, it's like, develop your people. If you got somebody who's, who's talented and they're ambitious and they wanna grow in the company and they wanna try something different, by all means, please support that. Don't don't be one of these managers that tries to hold people back and keep them down. It's like you got to think bigger about the company, about the benefit for the company, and about the individual. I mean, that's that's what we're here for is to help everybody succeed. The, you help the person succeed and the company. You also have to look at the ROI on that. I mean, how long does it take you to train a new individual instead of just cultivating what you already have? Um, I mean, there, there's a great analogy when it comes to marketing and sales. So many people spend so much money on generating leads, but they do not take as nearly as much time or effort to follow up with those leads. And a lot of times, if you want to get the pure gold out of the leads you already have, it takes about seven to 15 follow-ups depending on the industry. And so a lot of marketing dollars gets thrown away basically because you know, I mean, how many times have I told somebody, hey, call me back in like a week and they just don't call me back and I could have right, totally right. <laughs> been a sale for them. Um, but, you know, they spend so much it, money on the yeah. marketing without actually cultivating the leads. So the same thing applies with the people. Well, the interesting thing I think for you, Ben, is that you know, there's a silver lining here and, and sometimes it's the rejection that makes us grow and become more successful. <laughs> like I was just listening. My wife was telling me about these a uh, couple of different people that did these shows for NPR. So they did a few episodes and didn't work out. NPR is like, nah, it's not going to work. Let's just finish up. We had a few episodes, you know, sorry, let's part ways. They believed in it. So these, these individuals created their own podcast and now it's like they're wildly successful and supporting their families with their podcast. And they're like, that never would have happened if NPR hadn't rejected me. They're like, thank you. You know, instead of me being an employee at this company or, you know, making a little bit of money, I got my own business now and I have my own podcast and I'm making a lot more money. So, I mean, the silver lining here is I, I have a feeling you're going to be a lot more successful in your new career 
than you would have been as a designer. Designers don't make a lot of money. <laughs> Trip and I, Trip and I know that. <laughs> no, well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not. Yes. However, for someone who's working much yes. harder in a warehouse, I mean, those warehouses are not air conditioned. They used to send us down for like get tough Amazon sort of orientation in, into Phoenix uh, to go work in the unconditioned warehouse in Phoenix, um, you know, and, you know, shadow people. And so Ben came and did the shadowing and met with a bunch of different managers in the group and everybody, I think, liked it. And I had a role and I pushed for it. Um, and it was, it was really hard. I mean, I, I caught up with Ben before we, we came online today and kind of gave him the backstory of like, I escalated all the way up to the people that were responsible for workforce development in the warehouses. They were rolling out this program, which is the uh, up and out sort of nursing training. It was all these careers that are externally focused outside of Amazon. So they get people up and out of the, the warehouses. And I was like, but they're already working in the warehouses. They're successful in the warehouses. And they literally told me, well, if he wanted to do that, he would have to quit Amazon, wait for a period of time and then reapply uh, for the job. And then it would just like restart. So he'd have to leave all of his okay. stock. Uh, and he would have ridiculous. to leave all, all of his seniority. And there was like, it was, it was this, this petty bureaucracy of not rewarding the people. And, I think you can make the argument that it's not the engineers the, the the biggest awards, the people that they talk about at Amazon that uh, are become part of the myth and legend came in the warehouses. They, they were in the warehouses, the just do it award, which is the story of two fulfillment uh, operators that on Christmas Eve uh, there was a little baby doll that wasn't going to get there for Christmas. And so they, they got in their own personal, personal vehicles and drove an hour out to the customer to get it there by midnight. That's what happens in the warehouses. That's what makes Amazon Amazon. It's not the guys necessarily just doing the code. Um, and so it's like you, you kind of, you need to bring the people that got you there along. And so, yes, absolutely. I think the world is better off for somebody like Ben uh, not messing around with sketch and actually helping save lives. Um, but now you're in medical school. Like, what's what are you going to do with that? You are you now you're 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 uh, socially distanced medical medical school. Is that yes? Yeah. So everything is on Zoom, with the exception of one day a week um, for a couple hours. So how are they doing anatomy? I mean, like your roommates might have some questions about what you've got in the fridge. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, anatomy is socially distanced as well. So it's just, um, videos and, uh, they have, uh, 3d scans of, um, of, uh, you know, anatomical specimens for us. So in, in a way we, we kind of get uh, a different perspective, uh, from that right now, at least, I mean, the goal is to eventually be able to go into the lab, but for the time being they're uh, there's kind of selling it to us as, like, you know, as physicians today, um, a lot of that anatomy is experienced through, um, you know, laparoscopes and endoscopes and through technology and through through a monitor already. So um, it's kind of, you know, it is it is kind of an interesting spin on, yeah. on needing to do it remotely. And telemedicine's getting huge. So, right. yeah, absolutely true. 
So if you can educate doctors and you can get doctors working from anywhere, uh, that doesn't that me that doesn't make a great argument that you can't get office workers working from anywhere. Like what's the, now, Ben? Are you now that you're 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 back in L.A. Uh, you know, you're back in the big city. Is the plan to stay in the big city? Is that the the long term plan, or are you gonna? Uh... So my um, so yeah, I'm in LA right now for my uh, medical school, and then of course there's residency after that. Um, and you know, I'm I'm not a big city person, um, which is actually one of the reasons why I ended up making that switch from pursuing UX to uh, medicine because med- you need medicine everywhere and. It's kind of ironic looking back now because all these tech roles now are, you know, for the most part, they'll have that ability uh, to work from home. Yeah. So, uh, you know, because I was, you know, you're really limited uh, as far as working for a lot of tech companies in, you know, either the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, Seattle, New York. And um, I'm more of like a, you know, easygoing suburb type of person, I think. And um, that and I don't want to have to commute um, a lot. Hopefully, you know, when I, when I do start working, um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, but I'll, I'll go wherever I, wherever I'm needed. And, uh, I would like to return to, uh, you know, the San Joaquin Valley because it is underserved medically and there's a big need for, um, for Yeah, that's care. true. Yeah. That's very true. Good for you. Thanks. So Ben Carvalho, the one that got away. It's uh, Amazon is, <laughs> is, is worse for that, but, uh, I think the world is better for it. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on today. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, the only thing I was going to say is it's like, you know, kudos to you. I mean, I've, I've been talking with a very few people who are big career switchers and you're a big career switcher. Um, and I think that always takes a lot of courage. I think it takes a lot of vision. I think you have to have kind of a, a personal sense of what difference you want to make in the world to do that. And so it's a, it's a huge change, but I think it's going to be great for you. So congratulations. Thanks. And I'm hoping, you know, that in the future, um, kind of having that experience, um, with, you know, working in a space with at Amazon where even as a, as a warehouse kind of, uh, manager, uh, we had a lot of, um, um, a lot of focus on uh, continuous improvement and process improvement. And I'm hoping to have opportunities like that in healthcare because I think that's really needed as, as well right now. And I'll definitely look out for opportunities to kind of merge that UX way of thinking um, with healthcare, especially as we have all these emerging medical technologies um, coming out. And as you know, telemedicine just ramps up um, because I know that now all these systems are going to be more customer f- or, you know, patient facing now. Yeah. And my final thoughts, I think it's really interesting to see that career paths are not linear. You can go to school and educate yourself on one career path. And then within less than five years, switch to a completely different career path. And there are no real consequences to doing so. Um, especially young talent, I think when you're hitting 18, 19, you're trying to figure out what are you going to do? It's like, it's this looming, uh, conversation piece for a lot of youth about, Oh, this is like the one thing I got to pick for the rest of my life. And it creates a lot of anxiety and decision fatigue. But I think 
all of us, all four of us here have had quite a bit of career pivots yeah. <laughs> and, it, and we're still fine yes. functioning adults. We think so. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's my bigger takeaway or my takeaway on, um, on talking with you today, Ben. Like I was, I was really closely looking to going into like a master's program. Cause I think one of the conditions to, uh, to be in one of those UX roles at Amazon was they wanted me to go get a master's. And, um, you know, I knew that the, a program like that, you know, is always going to be there. And I actually did, I don't know, Trip, if you wanted to talk about um, the uh, kind of edX, the edX program that was a feeder into you, uh, the master's program that I was looking at. Yeah, you were looking at a program that that uh, could matriculate, like if you decided to sign on, to, you, so you were going to take the the, the classes on your own, pay for them yourself because uh, the program you were taking wasn't degree granting at Amazon, right? Uh, and uh, and that was a big deal because like if you just took it and you knew what they were teaching and then you decided to go into the master's program, they could convert those, those, those credits into a master's degree track and then you could graduate and then it would count, right? But Amazon wouldn't accept the training that told you exactly the same thing except you would just have to pay more to get the master's degree um, to, to, as, as, as acceptable credit. So he, he'd been doing all the right things. And it was just that our, the way that, that Amazon had approached and sort of built the bureaucracy around HR policy and promotions and preventing people from finding ways of moving up around the edges or whatever, they've, they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And they're not unique in that. That, that was so many so many big companies have these things that where they lose people because they want to hire somebody bigger yeah, in from the outside true. or they want somebody to really earn it right rather than take a risk on people that have proven it time and time again over time that they've been there um so it was it was it was frustrating all around and i think that i mean uh i also had a lot of valuable experience uh coming from the um fulfillment center that an external candidate wouldn't have had and wouldn't have been able to, um, you know, start day one with all that background knowledge on, you know, working on a project that yeah, served that's a great point. centers. So Absolutely. yeah, it was, but well, I felt that's um, <laughs> yeah, definitely why we, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like in logistics, that's why we wanted you. Cause you knew, you probably knew logistics better than anyone in that group. Um, you knew, you knew what was happening in those, in those spaces. But honestly, um, I really got tired of watching how many highly quote unquote qualified people would come through that knew all the knew all the tools, but they didn't they couldn't think through problems. And that wasn't evident with you. Like that was that was like you were a problem solver. You you knew the problems, you knew the systems, you could speak about the flaws. So I think, you know, let's let's everybody makes mistakes, you know, uh, we'll let Jeff, uh, learn and be curious about how he lost you and, uh, you know, move on because I think you've got bigger and better things ahead. And I think, you know, Larry was talking about career switchers. And I think one of the things I've, I've one of those radical career switchers where I've changed a lot. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that people think that you're wandering and, you know, you're switching and you're changing this and changing that. And people worry about, well, what do people think if I give up on this career? Having done it a few times at this point in my career, people are like, wow, you're so like, 
interesting and such broad experience and you've you've got such depth and you think about things differently and it's because you have those multiple perspectives and when you're looking at hiring the person that does the same thing over and over again they just move up the chain you lose all of that when you don't take risks on people that bring in an outside point of view and a different skill set they don't they will add more value to your organization so take those risks so ben is there places that if you wanted them to, people could uh, find out more about you. Um, yeah, just my LinkedIn page mainly. Um, just Benjamin Carvalho. Yeah, feel free to reach out to me if you're interested in yeah talking. Very cool. Yeah, we'll put you in the show notes so it'll be easier for people to find you. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Speaking of show notes, Anna, if if they want to find out more about us, uh, where would they go? Me? I'm going to tell you guys where to find us. <laughs> Um, it starts at thebraveworkforce.com. You can also email me at Anna, thebraveworkforce.com. If you have any questions, um, send them to me. I read every email I get. Thanks for listening and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Better days are ahead. <laughs>